gonna rock the shade Gonna scream my name Make you shout now, honey Gonna make you whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution.
And that was the Weekend Lovers from their brand new release. And we've got the whole band with us right now on the line. We got Brennan, Zach, Noel, and Kevin. Hey guys, how you doing? Good, how are you? Thanks for doing this, Rich. We really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Now, um, we always like to start things off by giving our fans this opportunity to get to know who you are, not only as artists, but as as people, as an entity, and as, you know, individuals. And the best way to do that is to look at your story, how you guys got together, how the band formed, and, and how you got to where you are today. So give us the story of the Weekend Lovers. Sure. So I actually grew up with Zach and Kevin. Zach guitar, Kevin drums. We're both, we're all from Jacksonville. We went to the same high school. Didn't play together then. All went to FSU, Florida State University. Met each other there, started playing. Formed a band, graduated. All kind of went our separate ways. I found my way to Atlanta where I started playing with Aaron real soon, our bass player. We just had a jam going at this shack I had in East Atlanta Village. And I basically called up Kevin and Zach and told them I had a good group to jam with and that it's, you know, it's cool up here in Atlanta. They were in Jacksonville, I don't think happy at the time, right? No, definitely not. Ready to get out of there because there was not much music going on there. So we came up and had a few jam sessions with Brennan actually that went really well and that's where Kevin and I both met real soon aka Aaron Roth our bass player um, yeah and we started jamming from there I convinced Kevin and Zach to move up here and uh, they moved into that small shack in East Atlanta Village had a loft which is one of the bedrooms and then I think one other bedroom and one bathroom so it was tight but it was good and from there we fell into this friend group and met Noel and for the moment I think just like we kind of knew that you sang so we we called a jam and just you know had a loose jam played some songs that we vaguely knew and yeah and I I had never been in a band before so this was my one of my first times really going and like jamming so I thought we were just having some fun and then like six months in they were like we're a band now we need a name and then that's how that's how it began and then we booked our first gig in March of 2022, and here we are now. So you can definitely credit the, the guys in the band for ruining your life. Exactly. Now I'm now I'm up till midnight every Tuesday practicing. <laughs> okay. All right. Now let's. Um, you know, every artist has that crossroad moment. You know, that moment where you look at your life and there are career paths that are laid before you. And it's usually something that strikes you that says, you know, this is where I want to go. Music is, is my path. What was that for you guys? What was that individual moment for each of you where you knew music was something that you wanted to pursue? Uh, this is uh, Kevin, the drummer. I uh, I actually stayed in Tallahassee after we graduated from FSU to work in the ER. I wanted to do the medical field for a while, and I let Brendan move here to Atlanta. Keys and uh, my brother Zach moved back to Jacksonville, and without playing music and kind of being up there without them pursuing this really rigorous career path that required pretty much giving up music entirely, I 
definitely realized then, you know, I think I was about 22 at the time, that it's what I wanted to do. So that's when I moved back in with Zach and up to Atlanta um, after really realizing that I could not live without playing music, at least to some degree. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's that's much more heartfelt than what my story is. Which is that <laughs> I very vividly remember being five years old in the back of my parents' van with my Game Boy Advance playing Pokemon. And I would just put the little speaker up to my ear for hours at a time and just listen to the songs instead of instead of playing the game. And then I'd go inside to our piano, which was ghastly out of tune and old, and just figure them out. And like that was just like the greatest recreation for me is, is, is the utmost fun. So I've, I've seeked it out everywhere that I've been. And when you find people to share it with, which I've found, you know, with, with these people, you know, it's, it's all the better. There's nothing you'd rather spend your time on. Okay. Anyone else? Yeah, this is, this is Zach again. Um, I actually grew up, Kevin and I are twins, fraternal twins, actually. Yeah, I don't think we've said that yet. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so we grew up jamming since we were young, but uh, I remember going out to our cousin's house, and he was a huge Led Zeppelin fan, so he would just put on live concerts, and I would be, you know, eight, nine years old, watching Jimmy Page playing lead guitar and just being enamored with him and just thinking, this is something I really want to do, and then we started playing together and doing talent shows, Kevin and I, and uh, there's never been a question in my mind. You could say I'm a big dreamer. <laughs> I just always wanted to do music for a living, so I'm trying my best to figure out how. Yeah, okay. we actually competed in the middle school talent show. Oh, nice. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> I don't think they officially played stuff. No, no, there were no winners. <laughs> we were all winners. Uh, how about you, Noel? Yeah, this is Noel. Um, I <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> the girl. Um, I, so I started playing violin when I was like four years old and was just always playing and always obsessed with making noise and being loud and singing. I used to drive my siblings crazy and my mom would tell me to go outside and give the neighbors a concert <laughs> to get out of the house. Um, so yeah, I've just been, always been singing, always been singing in the back of my dad's car. He was always playing the Beatles or the Grateful Dead. Um, and I just always knew I wanted music to be a big part of my life. And then when I met my bandmates, it was like, like Brennan said, having people to share it with and having people that we, we all feel really similarly about the music we're making. It feels really good. Okay. Now, let's talk a little bit about this new release. Uh, when you guys were putting this together, what was that inspiration, that that spark, that really drove this into existence for you? So I would say, you know, this whole period of, like, being a band that's just getting started and just getting started writing songs together, the whole battle is figuring out what you want your songs to sound like, because all these influences and all these people that came from you know different different walks of life and so you know instead of trying to release an ep that has you know four or five songs and kind of like compromising on the breadth of what an album can provide we just decided you know screw it let's write 10 11 songs and cover everything that we like and you know just try to get closer to that goal of you know really discovering our sound and you know what we want to sound like okay now uh, 
of course, every good release has to start with songs. And that craft of songwriting is so unique to the to the individual songwriter. Everyone has their own process. When you guys begin that process of writing songs as individuals, what is that mechanism that you like to use that allows you to tap into your muse? I think, uh, this is Kevin, I think with a, a group that has a lot of people who enjoy songwriting, uh, I've written a couple songs, Brendan uh, has written a, a good amount of songs for the band, Zach and Noel and Beach. Um, so it's kind of interesting keeping that in mind going into the songwriting because a lot of the times if I'm writing a song, it, I have Noel's voice in mind. Um, so it's a lot different than writing a song just for myself. But I think at the heart of it is always just, uh, I'm, I'm an emotional guy. And that's, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's always, you know, um, something that's happened to. I wrote um, one of our releases for The Rush is a song I wrote and sang um, and it was just kind of a, a time of my life that I was at a, a crossroads emotionally and romantically. So um, it kind of came out in the song and talking about things, you know, if they worked out a different way, how, uh, how different our, you know, relationship could have been. And I think just tapping into that raw emotion always helps, even if it's uh, writing for a whole band or yourself. Yeah, I mean, when the song sounds like what it, what it feels like, it's, it's a hell of a feeling when you've hooked into something. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, this is Zach. And go ahead. I, I was just going to add that, you know, similar to Kevin, like, I guess you could also say I'm an emotional guy, but sometimes it's just trying to be as honest as possible where it's, you know, maybe a line just comes out in the moment and then you kind of build off that. Or sometimes you put, you know, restraints, just kind of uh, guidelines for, like, what you want to do with your song like we have a song called uh, stir around and i kind of wanted to write lyrics with a stutter in it so i just did that for fun but it ended up coming up with a song that everyone liked and they ended up pushing that out as well all right now you know uh, a lot of songwriters have embraced the technology of today as tools in their toolkit whether it's a cell phone to capture those momentary ideas or you have a home recording studio and you lay out a structure and then write to that structure you know gain your lyrics by having that play back to you what are some of the tools you guys have found to be indispensable to you as writers yeah, I mean, this band runs on voice memos. You know, it's it's like, you know, you used to do it with a tape recorder. Now you can just send them, you know, instantly when you finish it. So it's someone gets an idea, you know, an hour later, it's on my phone. I can hear it, write my part. By the time band practice comes around later that night, we've all had a chance to digest somebody's idea and we can, you know, attack it on full force. So, I mean, I think if you don't use that, you know, the idea comes to you fast and it leaves even faster. So it's, it's a battle of speed to be to have that technology that you can pull right up and you know, get a quality recording you can go off of. It's clutch. Okay. Now, 
You know, uh, one of the big buzzwords right now in the industry has been artificial intelligence. Um, They are AI tools for mastering, mixing, um, you know, adding compression. Uh, I know Phil Spencer just came out with this plug-in that you say, oh, I want this kind of compression, and it gives it for you. Um, But there are also AI tools for the songwriter that help you write lyrics, uh, help you write melodies, chord progressions, bass lines, beats. What are some of the AI tools you guys have looked at, and where do you see this technology affecting the music industry, especially the songwriter, as we move into the future? It's definitely an interesting area, because I remember about less than a year ago, I'd say, I saw that an AI got its first record deal not a record deal but they, they published a song under a label um, so it's already so far advanced that I think we're kind of coming to the point where there will be AI music mass released I think also at the level like you said where people are using it for lyricism for writing songs um, compression mixing but I think in the end it will be more helpful as a band that produces themselves I think programs that help with the mixing um, and producing, you know, could be useful, but I just, for me personally, I really hope that it does stay at a point where there are a lot of earnest songwriters that aren't relying on AI too much for the lyric writing or the, the chord progression, because I feel like a lot of what makes the song beautiful is that, it, you know, it came from a raw emotion rather than, um, you know, plugging an idea into an AI. Yeah, I mean, any, any AI, you know, mix template is going to be you know very boilerplate it's it's not going to you know be edgy in any way the compression probably won't get aggressive to the point of, of distortion you know it'll probably be a classic tasteful mix job but you know the great thing about records is you know can, you can make them sound weird you can you can tune them to your taste that crunchiness or you know maybe you like a really you know low mid emphasized record and you, you can go with AI, but you can also like take your time to kind of craft what you want your you know holistic collective sound to be like, and a lot of that takes place in mixing, mixing and, and mastering part of the process. Right. Yeah, and I feel like as far as lyric writing goes, like teachers can tell when a student turns in a, an essay written by ChatGPT, and I think that listeners w- will be able to tell when lyrics are written by AI. And I don't really see us ever going down that road because I think the human element is so critical for lyrics. Makes it fun, too. Yeah, and thinking back off what Noel said, I just don't think there's something that can replace that human emotion that goes in with lyrics because, you know, there's a deeper connection to something that someone actually felt um, because it conveys what emotion they're feeling in that moment. And also, it, I mean, it was pretty cool if you uh, tuned into that new Beatles song that was released. It is definitely a helpful tool for like mixing, uh, for for mixing um, capabilities. Just because they sold out John Lennon's voice from uh, the piano, which is pretty cool, and they were able to finish that song. But, yeah, I mean, you can use it as a learning tool really effectively if you just tell AI to analyze, you know, the mastering curve on Penny Lane because you want your record to sound like Penny Lane. It can be a great learning tool. Mm-hmm. But it shouldn't replace the creative process. Yeah, I don't think it should, it should be used to create something that isn't there. 
Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm of a certain age where I remember when things like the drum machine first came on the scene and MIDI first came on the scene. And, of course, the music industry was in an uproar over it because of the fact that you could score a complete Broadway play on a computer and a synthesizer and not have any pit musicians. Or you can, you know, they said the drum machine will, will suck the human life out of, a, out of the music. But now they're everyday tools in our DAWs we all have drum machines we all have synthesizers and samplers and all kinds of cool gear and sequencers and you know you look at the um the the lyric writing tools and you start to think of them as idea generators as opposed to lyric writers um you know we're constantly looking at conversations or overhearing a conversation or turn a phrase and saying wow that would be a good title or wow that would be cool and i took some of these ai tools and i threw in some things and you know most of it is munition you know minutiae that comes out but you get these these gems these little rough diamonds in there and you say wow you know that's a cool little thought you know i could turn that into something so we're i think as songwriters as we move in the future it's going to be a great way to battle the blank page and give us more inspiration to create as we move down the line. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think also you kind of had me thinking there too where there is, a, you know, sort of a gate around songwriting where, you know, you kind of have to be thought of as verbose or have a really wide array of describing things, but that could be a really good way to uh, someone new to songwriting, being able to break into that, you know, enter that gate where they can enter a, a an idea that they're not entirely sure how to articulate and then AI might help them um, you know become a songwriter and in, in the end improve their songwriting skills and give them the tools to you know write better in the future yeah you know and, yeah, and I will say go ahead I'm, I'm probably I'm definitely like the most novice uh, when it comes to like using a DAW and just production skills and sometimes when I'm making demos of my song ideas. Like I don't have a drum kit at home. And so sometimes I'll use the AI drums just because I'm like, this demo will not sound complete without a beat. Um, and I feel like that can be helpful just to get the, the vibe of the song going. But at the same time, it would o I would only really use that for demo purposes and never like, like Kevin would always come up with a better beat than AI could. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's a helpful tool but a dangerous crutch. Right, yeah. that's a great way to put it—a helpful tool but a dangerous crutch. And you know, and I agree with you a hundred percent. You know, I see it as, like I said, just a a way to battle that blank page. Now, um, one of the things I think a lot of young songwriters struggle with is that moment where you have to declare the song finished in that writing phase. I mean, it will constantly evolve. It will evolve in the studio. It even evolves when you take it out on the road and you perform it out. It starts to, 
you know, find its spot, its groove. Little things start to move inside the song. So it's a constant evolution. Uh, But you got to get to that point where you move it from the writing phase into the production phase, give it to the rest of the band, allow them to kind of give their input into it. What is your quantifier that you guys like to use to determine when a song is ready to move to that next phase? We kind of have a lucky setup here where uh, we rent a house that has three levels and the bottom level is turned into a studio that we use. So a lot of the times as we're songwriting together or beginning to maybe record a demo, we have we can just record live everything we do. Um, so we kind of lucked out there where we can listen to songs that we've recorded live or just had a quick idea where maybe we don't have lyrics, but we have like a little vocal melody and we'll have you know the good bones of a song together um where we can listen back and decide if it's something we want to pursue or not um so a lot of times someone will come to the band with you know three-fourths of a song done and we can record it um up to a certain point look back at it and think if it's something that we want to pursue yeah i would say that's accurate and if like gun to our head we had to go to a different studio and, and answer this question i for me it's like like when you play through the song and there's no part that's glaringly the worst part of the song to me that's that moment it's like okay this is ready to like go into the studio yeah and also i mean it does vary per song as well we've had songs where it's taken us you know a couple of months to really iron it out we're banging our head against the wall because we're like why does this one part not work and we finally figure it out we have some where we've gone down there played it for the first time someone showed the song and played it for the first time and we went through it three times we're like okay song is ready for recording you know and I think like you said um, playing it live the song does tend to naturally evolve and I think if you can get to the point when you're playing it live and it feels good the whole time and the crowd seems to like it the whole time then you know it's ready okay well, let's talk about that process of going into the studio because having a song is is half the battle. The other half is creating that song's identity. But not only the identity for that song, but the identity for you guys as a band. And that is all takes it all takes place in the studio environment. And every artist has their way of getting their sound whether it's live from the floor or they like to track it they all have their unique process what is your process when you get into the studio environment that helps you get the sound you're looking for uh, we the past couple of songs we recorded we'd like to record as whole band scratch track so we'll play the entire song no level thing um, I'll play we'll do full instrumentals and song through and then we go back and start layering things in where we'll uh, we'll take out the guitar track we'll have Zach layer in a I guess studio quality one where you know we make sure he gets the tape we want to get gets the solo we want to get um, same thing with the vocals the keys and then we'll save the drums for last and I'll finally go over that drum track with everything else needed so I can make sure I'm perfectly on time with it and kind of like starting with you know a loose me figure that stripping it down then rebuilding it with uh, tracks that we're happy with yeah yeah we, we started and restarted projects many many times and it's it's always trial and error trying to figure out what works in terms of recording workflow and yeah what kevin just just described is what we've been going with lately and it's seeming to work okay 
Now, uh, give me a rundown now. I mean, we've all been introduced to you guys, but give me a rundown of who's playing what on this particular release. Yeah, so you'll have Noel singing. Mm-hmm. You will have Zach also singing, sometimes lead, sometimes harmonies, and playing lead guitar. I will be playing rhythm guitar and keys and singing harmonies, and Kevin will be playing drums and singing harmonies. Okay. And, now, and Aaron, our bassist, will be playing bass. <laughs> he takes bass solos as well. Yeah, he takes sick, sick bass solos. Oh. And he does play uh, flute and some other. That's true. Oh, and he does, on our songs, This on the Ground, Aaron does play some candles. <laughs> he does, okay. He some candles with like a, a triangle stick. Very talented guy. <laughs> well, there's a, there's versatility if you ever heard from one. <laughs> now, um... Let's talk a little bit about the industry. And, and, you know, when you get a bunch of musicians and we sit around the table and talk, the subject always comes up. And one of the big elephants in the room, if so to speak, is the fact that the consumer now has embraced streaming as a way to consume music. And you can't blame them. I mean, for $10, $15 a month, they have access to almost everything that's been recorded in the last 125 years. Um and you know, for them, it's a no-brainer. They don't have to store anything. They don't. They they can just at the flick of a finger. You know, they hear about an artist. They can look them up and listen to their catalog. Um, choose the songs they like. Put it into their playlist. And yada yada. On the flip side of that, for the independent artists, especially, recorded music has lost that status as a product nobody wants to buy recorded music anymore and that was kind of the lifeblood of independent artists selling music from the stage and cds downloads whatever the case may be how has this shift in perception by the consumer affected you guys as artists i would say i mean you want people to listen to you the way that they want to listen to you and and there's no going back people are not buying cds ever again i don't i hesitate to think if people will pay for a download ever again but i mean you look at television it's the same way i mean you don't buy dvds and the streaming platforms there you know they're figuring out the same way that spotify and apple music are are figuring it out um i to me it, it would be silly to try and stand against Spotify by keeping our music off there and just putting it on a place where you'd have to pay our set price to listen to it. I mean, I think it's more important for us to just be able to share it with people. And if people like it, there's opportunities to, to monetize. They come along the way. You know, it's... I think, I think the... Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I mean, we can't opt out of this particular business model that the industry is working under right now because of the fact that if if someone goes to look for you on Spotify and they do not find you, you immediately become irrelevant because they're going to move exactly. on to something else. According to the statistics uh, in chart metrics, there are 60,000 songs a week going up on Spotify. Um, there is... 872 years, and that's as of January 1st, not counting what has already been put up there since then, um, of music on Spotify that if you started listening 
to music the day Leonardo da Vinci finished the Mona Lisa and you listen 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you would not be finished until the year 2402. It is a staggering amount of content that is up there. Um, so you, we, we don't have a choice but to participate in this because if you don't, you will immediately get lost. The problem is, is that the way that Spotify structures their payment schedule is not sustainable as a business model. Now, they just came out with their their new policy as of January 1st, where they will not pay any artist that has less than a thousand streams a year. Now, if you think about it, 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 you know, it doesn't sound like much. We're talking, you know, maybe a couple bucks worth of, of streaming royalties. But according to Chartmetrics, 81% of the content that is on Spotify is less than 1,000 streams. We're talking hundreds of millions of dollars that is not going to artists that are going into the profit um, bottom line of Spotify. Now, you know, I have a website. I use Google AdSense, and they have a policy that if you don't reach $100 in, in ad revenue, they will let it accumulate till you do, and then they will pay you. Why can't that happen? Why can't Spotify say if you don't reach $1,000, we will hold it in escrow until you reach that number, and then we'll, you know, we'll send you your PayPal link or whatever. You know? Unreasonable. Yeah. Or if you really want to, you know, be altruistic about it, why don't they take those hundreds of millions of dollars that they're getting from these, you know, not paying these streams and create a non-for-profit like the uh, uh, Factor program up in Canada where artists can apply for grants to record or to tour or to market a previously done recording, you know, and and actually support the the wellspring of talent that's coming up that will be your future revenue stream coming forward, where they will, you know, be the future artists, the future Taylor Swifts, you know? Why can't you like invest in that? Idea. Well, yeah, I think so. And it's, <laughs> and it's like you said, too, is you know, 80% of these artists aren't even clearing enough to get a check. And, you know, that means they're the little, little guys. And it will take a lot of the little guys getting together to make that change. But until that happens, you know, I think the, you know, the little guys have gotten created and gotten on other platforms and found, you know, other ways to make at least some semblance of a living off of music. But I think the era of completely relying on streams, which... You know, I you know we're still kind of new to the game, but from what I understand, recently has gotten a lot worse, and especially with this new uh, policy rollout by Spotify, you know, definitely has. But um, yeah, I think it's really going to take a large amount of people to make that change. But until they do, we're going to have to get creative. You know, make interesting content on other platforms. And I think that the the people that can actually make a difference are like the dis- the distributors, like the distro kids of the world. Because I think that, or I read that Spotify's rationale was that these people who are making like five bucks a year on streaming are never actually withdrawing their money. 
from DistroKid and other distributing websites. Um, so in in Spotify's mind, they're they're kind of screwing over the distributors more than the artists. But I think that it's going to be the distributors that are going to have to make some noise. Well, yeah, their rationale really makes no, it doesn't hold water um, because their statement that they made as to why they're doing this is that they're trying to weed out the bad apples so the real musicians can get more money, which would make sense if you divvied up the, um, the streaming royalty by available revenue, but they're not. They're giving a flat rate of streaming, in other words, point zero 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 three cents to independent artists and maybe point zero zero five cents to, you know, major labels because, you know, they make more better deals. Um, but it doesn't make sense because they're not changing that structure. They're keeping that revenue and that revenue is nothing more than uh, theft of intellectual property. I'll tell you, my day job is I'm a CPA and I used to work in audit and I would I would love to take a look at their books. So would everyone else. Uh, <laughs> I want to see where the money's going. <laughs> I want to see where the money's coming from um, because, you know, it's the Wild West. Remember, there's no... There's no um, restrictions on payola. There's no restrictions on on anything that's happening in Spotify. They are a non-restricted um, comp- uh, corporation. And you can't even, because uh, I already spoke to some lawyers and said, you know, is it a possibility? Can we do class action suit as, you know, 81% of their content? And the fact of the matter that there are other platforms, you can opt out of Spotify, you know, essentially. Right. And I don't think that... It's almost like an antitrust issue. <laughs> yeah, it's not an antitrust, and you can't go on a class action because you can refuse their terms and just say, well, I don't want to you know, participate. But then again, it is the number one platform, and you now become irrelevant if you decide not to participate. Now, that yeah. brings us to where do we go? Where, what happens next in, in you know, in this in this world and I've looked at some of the technology that is coming down the pike and I think that is where we need to kind of look um, to be our savior is something to replace Spotify and if you look at the digital revolution um, the one glaring thing is that every time we found a company that we thought was going to dominate and rule the music industry forever, they were replaced. LimeWire was replaced by Napster. Napster mm-hmm. was replaced by iTunes. And my God, when we when Apple got in the game, everyone was like, that's it. It's over. The music industry is now owned by Apple. They own the music industry with the iTunes, the 99 cent downloads. You know, they, they've stopped piracy forever. Yada, yada. Then along comes Spotify. Just wipe them off the map. Where are all those iPods now? They're sitting in the kitchen junk drawer collecting dust. So, you know, we know that... If something's going to come down the pike that will replace Spotify, the question is, what will it be and 
when do we need to get involved? Uh, one of the things that happened when Spotify came on the on the scene is that we, as independent artists, did not get there early enough to kind of establish ourselves. If we get to these new platforms, like there are uh, streaming platforms that have been developed utilizing the blockchain. Now, that's the same technology that cryptocurrency uses to secure itself. And one of the big advantages of the blockchain is that it is a decentralized system. In other words, uh, it no one company or person can own that blockchain. It is owned by the users, which means the fans and the artists who put up their content. If we as artists get there first... Get our content up there. Start to move our fan base over and say, hey, you can get a higher quality stream from these because you can put flak files up on these new streaming services and say, hey, you can get a high quality, high fidelity stream from these new streaming services and start moving our fans there. Then we will have the ownership of these um, new platforms. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think that's what music could do right where the NFT market did wrong is, you know, the NFTs operated similarly. They're on the blockchain. Once you own the NFT, it was yours. Um, but it was, you know, just these small pictures that people were using for like Twitter avatars or whatever um, that no one really enjoyed having. It was just more about owning the, the bit of blockchain that you had. But where music could do that right is it's something people want to own. And like you said, it's a much more clean upload, much... Uh, much uh, better quality and people could own that you know the same way someone would own cryptocurrency or blockchain um but in something that's actually desirable to have so i think if we could access that it could be an incredible revolution well you know if you look at this this technology and you start because i looked at nfts and initially when i started looking at them they made no damn sense to me um, I have, you know, if I had a half a million dollars in my pocket, the last thing I would do was try to uh, buy a 8-bit graphic and, and, and spend all that half million dollars on it. But if you start looking at how do I apply this technology to... Um, to the music industry, and you start looking for companies that are doing this, um, I found like Royal.io. Now, here is a company that allows you to create an NFT that represents a small portion of either your streaming or your publishing royalties on a song. And I watched one of the rap artists. I, I know you, you know the guy Nas? The rap artist? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. He did this. He What he did is he took one half of two songs on his last release. And he made enough NFTs to cover that one half of the streaming royalties on these two songs. Sold it to his fan base. And I watched him gain almost $600,000 in upfront income. Then he now had over 3,000 fans that had an economic interest in making sure his music is streamed. On top of that... These things are bought and sold on an open market like stocks. Every time someone resells one of those NFTs, he gets a commission off that resale in perpetuity. 
to that. So it's almost like in, uh, investing in music that you enjoy. Right. And it gives, and it's, it, it is a way to replace the record company as an entity. Because, I mean, let's face it, what's a record contract? It's a bad loan with bad terms. So if you can get your fans to finance you and finance your next project by investing in the songs that they love, then why do you need a record company? Because that is, because really all you need is the money for marketing. You can hire a marketing expert, a PR person. You know, you can do all of that if you had the money. So, you know. I mean, I still think that, you know, the hard battle is building that fan base, you know, building that community. Once you have it, I think that's a tremendous way to get the absolute most out of it for yourself and for them. Yeah, and then I'm quitting my day job immediately. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I think that is a, a really friendly model for grassroots movements so you know if you put out music that people really enjoy even if you know you have an acquaintance that hears your song and really likes it they're now you know in a way incentivized to show your music to other people too and it's you know if the, if the art is good it's going to spread if that's the model well you know and, and that kind of brings us to you know this whole world of content and, and social media marketing because if you think about it, we're all walking around right now with um, a video production studio in our pockets. We have access to huge media networks that are free to us to use and utilize. And this this whole concept of content and funnel marketing uh, using social media. Now, to give you an example, I mean, I know artists that, uh, like Mindy Abar, who is a uh, saxophone-playing artist, um, vocalist, Uh, she was on American Idol, you know, as a, uh, in the house band, and they used to showcase her every once in a while, few, back in the early seasons, but she does this cooking thing on on the internet with her husband, she's got her own line of wines, Uh, she's got, you know, she does does, you know, different styles of music. And what happens is she brings in people who like cooking, brings in people who like wines, uh, brings in people who likes music and jazz and, and blues and whatever. And they get into the top of her funnel and start moving down and discovering more about her till they get to that core of supporting her as an artist. And if you think about it, I mean, here's the rub. If you think about it in in economic terms, and I know, um, Noel, you're a CPA, all right? Yes, right. (laughs) If you can find, of the billions of people on social media, 1,000 fans that are willing to spend $100 on your art a year, you have enough revenue to create an income, to sustain yourselves and pay your bills. Think about that. 1,000 fans is not a lot of fans to get to pay $100. That's merch, tickets to shows, buying whatever it is you've got. That's all you need is 100 fans, I mean, 1,000 fans at $100 a piece. That's a doable thing. 
you know? That's less than our streams on Spotify last year. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, um, my question is, is utilizing content in social media, what are some of the things you guys are doing that's helping establish your brand and, and create this fan interaction that's going to help you get to kind of that kind of goal? We've made TikToks, we've made Reels. Um, when we do that stuff, we try to give people an opportunity to, you know, hear us unplugged in a more, you know, intimate environment and try to make videos that are funny, that, you know, where we can kind of, you know, keep it light and connect with people and give them something to laugh at, not necessarily something to be like, hey, you know, please listen to this. Um, but yeah, we've made TikToks, Reels, yeah, and I think like what you were saying earlier about how in the modern era you have to kind of sell your whole story, not just your music. And I think that the posts where, you know, like I write I write most of my captions and I try to write them like really in my voice and in like a voice that I think reflects the band. Um, and I think that people respond to that. You know, you think about like in like the the days of Led Zeppelin, they had like no interaction with their fans and hardly ever talked to the press. Um, and that those days are just completely gone. Now fans really want to know who you are and hear from you like every day. So I think the more you can just post kind of what's going on in your daily life and like behind the scenes type of content, recording process, writing process all that kind of stuff, I think people really like to see. Yeah, and I, I think it's the content's also similar, you know, to our, our, our music. I really think that the public is smart and our fans are smart and they can tell, like, if something is fake or AI generated. Like, we try to be as honest as we can in our content just to show, you know, our fans who we are because it just comes across genuine and I, I think people really can resonate with that. Well, you know, you look at, to me, I look at someone like Taylor Swift as a genius at this. This is, this is her, I mean, that's a master class. You know, I mean, you know, she'll give a hat to a cancer patient and it will go viral forever. You know what I mean? Um, and, and because it's genuine, it's authentic, it's real, it's, you know that that's really her and she, really her outpouring to others. And she, every, every picture, every video is a viral moment. And she, you know, as much as I would like, to, don't want to use the term orchestrated, but it is designed. You know what I mean? As authentic as it is, you don't see Taylor doing bad things. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of that, too, has to do with the personality she's cultivated through her music. You know, we've seen multiple breakups <laughs> that she's endured you know, right. through her music. And, you know, she has she, that public face, too, where it's so ubiquitously known when she gets a new uh, you know lover or whatever and we know that there's going to be songs written about it and that kind of goes into her like good girl gets her heartbroken um, you know persona that is pretty much unshakable at this point and so is like her style of music you know you hear one intro of a song and you instantly know it's Taylor right well she's 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 got this innocence and genius 
all in the same package, you know, and it's it's like every thing amazes her and that's her persona and it's you know people gravitate to that and i think it's it's her branding that really has become the new product you know what i mean i think it's totally manufactured relatability not like like you said orchestrated earlier i think she has like such a good team around her um and it works Oh, yeah, because they put the situations in front of her and allow her to react to that situation. In other words, when she gave that hat to the cancer child, you know, the the child with cancer, that child was put there because it gave her that opportunity to react at that point. You know what I mean? It, you know, they, they gave her a front row seat, you know? Yeah, and she, she knows the persona she's cultivated so well that she knows exactly how to react in that moment too. They don't have to worry about, you know, what is Taylor going to do when we put the cancer patient in front of her. We already know exactly what's going to happen. So, oh yeah, because she, know, like you said, she was, truly yeah. is a good person, you know, and exactly. that's, you know, and that, that comes through, you know, and her team know this and they allow, they, they can move things around to give her those opportunities and make them available at that moment, you know? Yeah, and it speaks to, like, you know, how well the people around her know her because it's knowing exactly where she's going to be and how she's going to react to the situation takes a lot of intimate knowledge of a person and that comes through in her music and, you know, from what I understand, at least in, in her personal connections as well. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I, I really appreciate you guys uh, coming on the show and talking. And uh, it's been a great conversation. And uh, we're going to give everyone out there a double shot from your new release. You guys, you know what? You're going to really love back. this. Just turn it up loud. My fingers through your hair. Don't want to look. I only want to stare. I wanna get lost in your blue eyes I wanna lay with you and watch the sunrise There's one thing on my mind when I'm looking at you There's only one thing that I wanna do
independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. Shout now. 